He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Oh God, as we consider the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah, we pray that you help us to understand what he has to say to us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here. You know, our, uh, our team was gone, our, our pastoral team was gone last week to lovely and sunny California. Can I tell you some news? It's 80 degrees in California. Does that make you angry? Let me tell you, there's nothing worse than, I mean, it's, it's beautiful to be in California, but then you have to come back. It's 39 degrees here. That makes, that makes me angry. I don't know about you. I'm ready for spring. Anyway, it's coming, I know. Anyway, we had a good time in, in uh, California. I should tell you why, why we were there. We are coordinating with a group of other people who are doing ministry in cities across the country to develop an urban ministry network. And so we were there to, uh, to coordinate with some other people doing ministry in cities and we went to a couple of churches in Los Angeles on, on Saturday and Sunday. It was a great time together and looking forward to this brand new urban ministry network. Anyway, we were out there working, I promise you, but it was 80 degrees and it was glorious. But I'm back here. I mean, you've got to come back to New York, even when it is 39 degrees. How are you doing, Niagaka? Good to see you. I missed you while I was gone. Um, glad, again, glad that you are here today. We are finishing our mini-series on Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Now, if you missed any of the, the teachings in, in that uh, series, you can go back on avonhope.org. In fact, you can go back and listen to even last week's a message. Lincoln Alabaster preached last week on Isaiah 59 and 60. In fact, when I was driving to the airport at LAX, I put on some Lincoln, and it was a great message. And so you can go to avonhope.org and catch up on all of the messages in this series. Now, our text of emphasis today comes from maybe the most often quoted uh, passage or chapter in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, and this is what we consider one of the messianic uh, promises in Isaiah. So this is written, you know, some six to 700 years before the first century, before Jesus would uh, come, but it was written about, about Jesus, and so it describes his actions, the one who's going to be the model for humanity, and we see the description uh, making many claims, but one is that the Messiah will exhibit extreme uh, grace under pressure. It says that he will be afflicted, but he won't open his mouth to complain or even to defend him himself. And so the uh, picture of the Messiah is one that is going to exhibit incredible grace under pressure. Now, when, <laughs> when Jesus himself came, he actually talked about this idea of grace under pressure. In Matthew chapter uh, 5, Jesus kind of reframes uh, what the stressful situations are like for those who are believers in the one true God. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed 
are you when people insult you? Now, that's not something I think that we uh, normally or naturally as a human would, would uh, feel blessed about. I mean, most of our definition of blessed doesn't, doesn't uh, center around the idea of people insulting you or persecuting you or saying false things about you. But Jesus asserts that, hey, this grace under pressure, being able to, to take stressful situations and to be, uh, to be at peace with them is a part of what it means to be a, a follower of the one true God. So blessed are you. Blessed are you. Having grace under pressure is one of the most, I think, challenging aspects to daily life uh, anywhere, but especially here in, in uh, New York City. I mean, you've got a demanding job. You're working many hours a day. You're tired. You get on a packed subway uh, to go home. Someone accosts you in some way. Uh, that's a typical New York City day, right? And yet we're expected to have uh, grace under a pressure. It's incredibly, it's impre- incredibly difficult. And, you know, who knows what kind of pressure you're going to face on the city streets of New York. Now, uh, one of the, 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 my, my favorite grace under, under pressure situations actually happened to my wife. So she was in Starbucks, as one might be in New York, and she was standing in line, and she saw a guy just had a bag, and he was just emptying the Starbucks mugs into the bag, and she was standing in line and glanced at him, and he glanced at her, and you know when somebody feels like, I don't know if it was conviction or anger, but he saw her looking at him and didn't like that she was seeing this, and so he accosted her by hitting her, hitting her on the head, wait for it, with a bouquet of flowers. It's horrible. It's horrific. I mean, anytime you get accosted, now I'm going to, you know, I, I've confess to you, I've got a little white male privilege thing going on, so I walk the streets. I've never been accosted, almost never, and certainly never hit with anything on the head. My wife, she's got some white privilege, but she is a woman, and so for those of you who are women, you, you know that walking the city streets, who knows what's going to happen? She's got story after story. This happens to be my favorite because as horrific as it was to get accosted and hit on the head, if you're going to get hit on the head, you want it to be with a bouquet of flowers. I think, I think. She could, she could correct me on that later. Anyway, who knows what, what, what tumultuous situation walking the city streets or standing in line at your favorite coffee shop you are going to be faced with here in New York. And yes, we are called to experience a grace under a pressure. Grace under pressure is one of those attributes that we are just, not, I mean, not only as a, as a follower of God expected to have, but I mean, even, even, even in your workplace, whatever, whether you're with believers or not, people anticipate that you're going to be able to hold your stuff together when turmoil is, you're confronted with uh, turmoil, whether you're sitting at an annoying board meeting or you are, by the way, I was at a, I was at a board meeting once, not here at Advent Hope, just to clarify this, I'm on a, several boards, I was on a board, and it was, it was getting late in the day, and the conversations were a little annoying, as they can be at board meetings, except for Advent Hope's board meeting, we love, we have fun time at Advent Hope board meeting, you can be a board member too, um, email me, we'll, we'll sign you up, fun board meetings. No, don't email me. You don't want to be on the board. But anyway, we have a good board meeting, but this was, a bad, this was an annoying board meeting. 
Have you ever been on an, an annoying board meeting? Oh, and so you're sit yes, you're sitting there, and the board meeting is, first of all, is going way into the, into the evening hours, and it was very annoying. The conversation was annoying, and one of my fellow board members just lost, lost his mind and said, enough, and he hit the table, boom. I mean, we're all having a normal meeting. He hit the table enough and just flipped the flip out. I mean, he just flipped it out, and enough, banged on the table, made a scene. He didn't turn over the table. I mean, that would have been just the best if he'd turn over the table. Just bam, enough, and just got up and made a scene and walked out, and everybody was like, wow, wow. It happens, right? I don't know what was going on in the experience, but right now he did, it just clicked, you know, boom. Anyway, grace under pressure that day. He's a lovely person, but that day, not so much on the grace under pressure, and yet we are expected to have uh, grace under, uh, under pressure. And the, yet the reality is that that is incredibly uh, difficult. I mean, you've got stress in your, your situation. You've got things going on in your life, and uh, being graceful, holding it together when, especially if you're being insulted or you're being talked about, or in the context of the Messiah even being persecuted. The idea of having to hold it together is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so what is it that in inhibits us from having peace when we face turmoil? What is it that, that really does it for us, that makes us snap, if you will? There are a bunch of things. There are a few I, I want to share with you today. First of all, I would assert that we as human beings don't like to be judged by others. You know, I mean, there's, is there anything more annoying than being just judged by someone else? I mean, uh, a judgment would imply that somebody is, is kind of superimposing values on you as a person. By the way, we don't, we don't like being judged by others. We also don't like really being judged by ourselves, and we're pretty good at judging ourselves, and we're also often pretty harsh on our, ourselves, and yet that just it creates tension in our experience when we feel like we are being a judge. And so much of our, the turmoil we face is when someone else is, uh, uh, is asserting things on us or judging us some way, and there's nothing uh, worse than someone else uh, judging us, and then we're feeling like a value statement is being made against us, and so this can challenge our ability to have peace in tumultuous situations when people put their anxiety onto us. I mean, nothing worse than having someone else give us their anxiety by being judged, and so we don't like being uh, judged. Uh, secondly, what inhibits us from really having peace in tumultuous situations. We have really high expectations for maybe ourselves, but also for how the world is supposed to work. We anticipate that things are going to go in a certain and particular way, and uh, we want those things to go well. We, we want the world to be a beautiful place, and yet the reality is that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken society. We live in a broken a city. We have uh, broken families and relationships, and we are broken, and so our expectations that everything is going to be peace, love, and beautiful are often not met because of just the brokenness. Uh, I was an author back in the 70s, M. Scott Peck. Have you, any of you uh, read M. Scott Peck? Great, great book, uh, The Road Less Traveled. Great book. Back in the, if, you, if you haven't read it, worth reading. 
I think, one of the great opening statements of any book. His, his first line is this, life is difficult. Life is difficult. This, he goes on to say, this is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Now, he goes on to make an argument why that's the case, but the idea that managing your expectations, in, in, in essence, is what he's getting at, understanding that your life is difficult, getting up in the morning and, and, and being prepared that you know, things might not go according to our expectations helps us to um, manage our experience, and yet, and yet we have very high expectations, and so doing that can be challenging. When we go to work and we're confronted with a circumstance or situation that is different than what we want or what we're anticipating or what our expectations are, that can challenge our peace. It can take our peace away because we anticipate things to be one way and they're different than we anticipate. And so uh, really embracing even this idea that life is difficult can be incredibly incredibly challenging and really goes against our very nature where we anticipate and maybe it's because of you know the way things were created god created a world that was designed to be perfect and so we have that idea in our our minds that mentality that things should be a particular way and so when they're not that way it just creates confusion in our own psyche and so we have a hard time because we have high expectations and those expectations can rub against us when we are faced with uh, turmoil. Uh, finally, we have a, a, a difficult time having peace in challenging situations because we are generally full of anxiety. W what's your anxiety level right now? Yeah, right. Yeah, you got, wedding is coming up in like eight days. Anxiety level is is high. I mean, that's something exciting, something to be, to, to be joyful about, and yet there's anxiety with that. I, I'm sure if we went through, I know there are those of you who, who are here, and you're moving. Is there anything worse than moving? I mean, there are. Of course there are, but that was a, it, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. There was one time when I was, I was moving, and there, um, I had a dream, and during the dream, my, the, 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 the truck in which all of our belongings had been packed. We hadn't even packed yet in, in real life in the dream. And I remember the truck driving away and bursting into flames. <laughs> and I remember in my dream thinking, thank God, it's the greatest thing. All that stuff is burning up. I mean, I, I didn't really want that to happen, but in the dream, it just seems like so perfect. Yes, I don't have to worry about all of that stuff. And the truck burned up and it was beautiful. And then I had to get up the next day and pack. Oh, oh, so disgusting. Anyway, oh. And you know, when you, you my, my wife and I have been married for a very long time, and it means you have somehow just things every year they collect, and you have more and more stuff. And now we've collected children. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing all the stuff that we have. And we, I, oh, you, and a, so anyway, the truck just burns up. Oh, it was glorious. Anyway, we are full of. Uh, anxiety. I mean, moving, wedding, something exciting that creates anxiety. I mean, some of you are going through some challenging stuff, and you have anxiety. The, 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 the bank account 
and the bills to be paid, that doesn't match, that creates anxiety. You've got anxiety at work, Monday morning you're going to go and you know that there's a circumstance or a situation that you have that's going to be difficult, and so we are full of anxiety. Now, we are pretty good as humans, pretty good, and some of us are better than others at having a little box inside of our being where we put things that create anxiety. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, some of us don't have this box. There's just no, if there's anxiety, it is coming out. Boom, there it is for you. But other, others of us have a little box. Most of us have some kind of box, and we store anxiety in there. The problem is that that box is only so big, and then once it gets full, watch out. And you're not, you don't know when that's going to happen. Remember the jack-in-the-box? And you turn that little thing around, and inside you know is stuff that is going to come out at some point when the revolution of that thing goes around. You know what I'm talking about? Remember Elf? Elf was the tester of the uh, jack-in-the-box. Come on, greatest film ever made. Anyway, at some point the revolution goes along and boom, out comes the thing. And you're, you're ter- Those things are the most terrifying toys ever invented. Who did that for children? That person should be locked up. This is a toy for children. Play, turn around, you're going to be terrified. Anyway, we have that little box internally, and inside of that is all of our anxiety. And at some point, you know it, I know it, that, all that anxiety is going to come out. And oftentimes, it's at the worst possible moment when your anxiety just boils up at those times when you really need to have it together. I mean, I'm imagining that's what happened to my board member friend. I said, that's a dump! I'm like, bro, it's just a board meeting. Everything is fine. He must have, something else was going on. It couldn't have just been that board meeting. Anyway, the worst moments, everything comes out because we are full. We are full of anxiety, and we have our box, and that box gets full, and it's going to come out at some point, and, and oftentimes it's at the worst moment. And so these things challenge our peace when we are faced with tumultuous situations. We don't like being judged by other people, and quite frankly, not even by ourselves. We have high expectations for how the world is supposed to work and how our day is supposed to go and how our life is supposed to go. And when our expectations don't meet reality, that creates, that challenges our our peace. And we are generally full of anxiety. And so one more situation, one more confrontation, one more tumultuous situation could be just that thing that's going to take it over the edge, and we are not going to have grace in the face of pressure. So what's the solution? How do we develop grace under a pressure? Do we just need to figure this out on our own? Do we need to just get it together, but what happens when we can't do that? What happens when we've been trying to figure it out, trying not to have anxiety on our own, trying to manage our stress on our own, and it just doesn't work? What happens then? What do we do with this anxiety? What do we do with this stress? How do we have grace under pressure that we need to operate in the world in which we operate? There's good news. Uh, There is one who has come, who had grace in the face of the worst oppression, the worst of tumultuous situations. Uh, Isaiah's description of the Messiah was describing a very real person who was going to come, and he did come, and his name was Jesus. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 27 that he faced 
uh, the religious and political leaders of his day, and he was accused of terrible things. And when he was accused, he didn't complain. In fact, he gave no answer. And then Pilate, the even more powerful governor, uh, came. And he said to Jesus, don't you hear this uh, testimony these people are bringing against you? They're accusing you of things, and you're not saying anything. But Jesus still made no reply, not even to, the sing- to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. That's grace in the face of a tumultuous situation. Jesus was able to, to be falsely uh, accused and to not even complain. You guys are really doing this to me? Not even, not even complain. And then a little while later in Luke chapter 23, we're told that uh, two other men, who were both criminals, by the way, uh, were also sent with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, uh, they crucified each of them there. So two criminals, acknowledged criminals, and Jesus. One was on Jesus' right and one on, 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 the left, on his left. And Jesus said these words to the people who were uh, murdering him, who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so Jesus is expressing grace under pressure. And while he's saying this, they're dividing up his clothes. See, that's, that's grace in the face of pressure. That's the, the ability to have peace even in tumultuous circumstances. Uh, Jesus has done what we are unable to do, to really uh, hold it together, to have true peace that transcends the circumstances in which we are in. When we face uh, tumultuous situations, we are often overcome because our box is full of anxiety, and it's just bubbling over. Jesus was able to do what we have been unable to do. Jesus exhibited extreme grace under extreme pressure to the point where he is able to forgive people who are in the process, it didn't even happen, or who are in the process of hurting him, who are in the process of putting him in a terrible situation. The great promise is that because Jesus has done what we have been unable to do, that Jesus came, that God himself has come and experienced the same kind of challenges that we've, we face, but have overcome those challenges, not succumbing to the, the evil that is in this world. Because God has done this, as we embrace God's work and acknowledge what he's done in Jesus, we have hope that God is able to give us power which we don't have ourselves to. As you acknowledge the work of Jesus, acknowledge that God has come, that God has done what we cannot do, that God has faced so many circumstances, so many situations, but in particular has come and died, and yet didn't complain or defend himself, but experienced and and exhibited grace under pressure, that because God in Jesus has done that, as we embrace and acknowledge what God has done, we too have access to this transformative and supernatural power, power that is outside of ourselves. So if I were to tell you today, hey, Jesus, wow, what a guy experienced grace under pressure. He exhibited grace under pressure. Now you too go and be like Jesus. When you face, uh, uh, when you face your challenge this week, when you go in and you meet that annoying coworker or that boss, just think, what would Jesus do? Remember that? Remember what would Jesus do? 
that the, the, you had, and you wore the thing on your arm, what would Jesus do? My annoying, my annoying boss talking to me, what would Jesus do? Jesus as an example is not enough. What would Jesus do? That's great. What would Jesus do? We need Jesus working inside of us. What would Jesus do in, in us to transform and change us? Because if Jesus is just an example, we are desperate. We're not going to get it together. You're not going to live up to the example that Jesus uh, did. You're just not. And so I can tell you, go out, do what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? Everything, every challenge today, just think to yourself, what would Jesus do? And you would be just as messed up. In fact, you'd probably feel worse about yourself because you'd think at the end of the day, what would Jesus do? I don't know, but I didn't do it. Right? The great promise of the Bible is that God has done what we cannot do in Jesus. And as we acknowledge that, as we acknowledge that Jesus is from God, I mean, this is what Jesus was trying to get across. You know, don't, don't, don't just use me as an example. Acknowledge who I am. I am from God. I and the Father are one. And once you come to that recognition, God is able to come in and start doing things in your experience that you cannot do for yourself. This is called the Spirit working within you. Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah, that text of emphasis that we focused on today, says that Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our problems. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, God working for us, God doing something for us. When Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, that did something for us. That gave us access to power that we do not naturally or innately have. And this is good news. It's not good news to tell you just go and be like Jesus. That is terrible news because you are not going to do it. But it is great news to say as you acknowledge what Jesus has done and allow him to do his work in you, you can be transformed and changed, and you can have peace even in times of tumult. I mean, don't, don't we need that? I mean, do you know how tumultuous this world is? I mean, we got, we got weddings going on. We got exciting things. Those give us anxiety. All the other stuff, I mean, you cannot... Turn on, the, you can turn on the television or open your computer or look at things and not feel like there is just so much anxiety and stress-inducing things in this world. And yet God has done for us what we cannot do. He has faced far worse tumultuous situations with grace and peace. Peter was a... Uh, was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of, of Jesus. And he was, uh, he, was, he, was, he was very impetuous. And uh, most famous, famously, on the night that Jesus was arrested, uh, Peter was confronted uh, three times. You've heard this story. If you read the Bible or you know anything about the Bible, you, you may have heard this story. So he was confronted three times by people who uh, thought he was a follower of Jesus. Now, this, this had very uh, specific implications for Peter because he was afraid that since Jesus had been arrested, by the way, when he was following Jesus, you know, he was 
always like, I'm going to be with you to the end, you know, what, I'm going to follow you. But on this night, when Jesus has been arrested, he's feeling anxiety. He's feeling a stress. And so he's in these circumstances where people will call out, Did, weren't you a follower of Jesus? And he, no, no, no. And finally, there's a, a young uh, woman, a young girl. And she says, this is to the follower of Jesus. And he just loses it, like my guy at the board meeting. Flips out. The Bible says he was cursing. He just wanted to, to, uh, to show everyone that he was not a follower of Jesus, this one who, that he had pledged himself to. The anxiety overcame him in his moment of, of, of tumult. It was just too much for him, and he just flipped out. He flipped out. And so Jesus was crucified, and he asked for forgiveness for those who were crucifying, and Peter uh, sees all of this and starts to understand and recognize what was really going on, that he's never going to get it together on his own, that he's never going to be the guy he wants to be, that his ex expectations for himself were, quite frankly, too high. He was never going to live up to what he wanted to live up to, that he was going to be that guy who stood with Jesus until the end, and nobody would get in his way, but somebody did get in his way, a little girl. Three people got in his way, and I mean, he flipped it. And so after this, we see that Peter has this transformation and a change. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, just a few weeks later, this Peter, who just lost his mind out of fear and anxiety and couldn't stand up for Jesus on the night of Jesus' death, we find Peter in a totally different uh, situation. He's now before the religious authorities, the people who actually could do something to him. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, we read this. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God now working in him. Peter's seen what, 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 what happens and what God does through Jesus. And as he embraced this, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers and elders of the people, he's able to now confront them. If we are being called into account today for an act of kindness showed to this man who was lame, they're calling him because they had done some healing and they wanted to know, are you a follower of Jesus? The same question that had been asked of Peter on the night of Jesus' crucifixion that he was too afraid to, to respond to so much so that he flips out when a, a girl asks him, are you a follower of Jesus? But now he's able to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. In fact, it's in Jesus' name that I was able to heal this person. See, this is transformation and change in a very short amount of time. And we go on in the story and to re read that uh, after the apostles, including Peter, left the religious le leaders, the Sanhedrin, the people who actually could do harm to them, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. See, this is what happens when God starts to do his thing inside of us. When we acknowledge who God came from, who Jesus came from, that he came from God, and acknowledge that Jesus has done what we will never be able to do. As we acknowledge and embrace this, God is able to fill us with his spirit and give us a new perspective on who we are and what's going on in the world. This same Peter was able to write in his book, one of his books, 1 Peter and this is 1 Peter chapter 5, some of the most encouraging words in all of the Bible. Peter says, he knows to write this, cast all your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. 
Is there more comforting words than all of the Bible than this? Cast all of your anxiety. Look, part of our problem is that we're so concerned because people are casting their anxiety on us, right? We feel overcome. I mean, we have our own anxiety, and then we have other people putting their anxiety on us, our boss, our, our, our significant other, our family members, and they're casting their anxiety on us, and we're like, I've got too much anxiety, and our box is really filled, and the jack-in-the-box is going to come out, and it's going to get crazy, and we're going to be like, enough! Jesus' invitation is different. Cast all your anxiety on him, says Peter, because he cares for you. Isn't it great to know there is, there is one, the great God of the universe, who is inviting us not to take his anxiety on us, but to give our anxiety to him. How about Philippians chapter 4? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, if you're in trouble, if you're full of, of, of fear or stress or anxiety, the invitation is to, in prayer and petition, give those things to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, I love that, transcends our understanding. So we have limited understanding about how things work or how we're going to figure out. We think, oh, in order to get out of this tumultuous situation, I've got to do this or this or this or this. Paul in Philippians said, there is an understanding that transcends your understanding. It's bigger than what you can think of. And so if you cast your anxiety on God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the best news ever for a world that is just overcome by anxiety, for a city that has a lot of anxiety, for people. I know that you have anxiety. I have anxiety. We all have anxiety, and we're, we're filled with it, whether, whether it's because we don't like being judged, or we have these high expectations for ourselves and for the world, or we're just full of it from so many other sources, we have anxiety. And so the invitation of Jesus is to give him that. Give him our anxiety. This is the promise of God through the work of Jesus, that Jesus can take our anxiety and we can be healed and we can experience new life and God can do his transforming work in us to give us peace even in the midst of the most tumultuous of situations. Where is your anxiety today? What do you have anxiety about? Whatever it is, it's not too much for the great God who has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And his invitation for us for you and for me, is to give him our anxiety. And he will give us peace. Confess your inability to get it all together on your own. Confess your inner struggle. Confess those areas that you've been trying to fix on your own. Con confess those people who have, have been giving you their anxiety. Confess that and what it's been doing to you 
and allow God to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. I have a prayer of confession for us today. Just to just close your eyes with me, I'm going to say this prayer and we're going to embrace this confession. Jesus, I believe in you today. Take my anxiety and give me your peace. Do your resurrecting work in me now, in us now. Amen.